This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. Good morning, everyone. It is great to be here. Thank you for having us. We appreciate the opportunity to be here and to be able to share uh, a message from God's Word. We hope that uh, it'll be beneficial to you and enlightening uh, as it has been to me. I'm going to speak this morning concerning the act of forgiveness and reconciliation. And uh, the reason what, what brought this on is, uh, well, I guess several things, but I had uh, been called several years ago, one particular meeting, been called to meet between two people, or two parties, I should say, who had conflict with each other. And it happens. It happens in life, right? It happens on the job. It happens in the world. Um, it happens in the church, sadly. It happens in our families, things like that. Well, I was called in to try to help mediate uh, between these two parties. And I don't enjoy that any more than they do, to be honest. It, it's, it's difficult. Um, it's a difficult subject to, to address. But I think it's important that we address it and we know how to handle uh, conflict and, and how to resolve issues and how to bring uh, back together, to reconcile between parties when we have these uh, issues and fallouts with, with people. So I want to look at that this morning. I particularly want to look toward the message of the cross, and that's where we're going to go with this. What is the message of the cross? And how does it relate to this particular topic? You know, I, I don't have, now I'll say it this way, I have my own difficulties in certain relationships with people, with conflicts that have come across my life over the years. Um, again, it just happens. We've got to be honest and be able to, to admit that and then be able to deal with that when those situations occur. Um, I get aggravated going to Walmart. I don't know if anybody works for Walmart here, but I get aggravated just going to Walmart and they not have checkers. I, see? <laughs> so it affects other people too. It's not just me. I have difficulty dealing with those type of issues, little issues. I have a difficulty dealing with the driver. It's a common thing to bring up, but with the driver that cuts me off on the highway and I don't even know this person. But I would have a few choice words with them if I had the opportunity. <laughs> we just have issues in life. It's real. It is real. And that's okay. It happens. But how do we deal with them? And what's really the proper approach to that as a Christian? Because really, that is our goal, right? We want to be as much like Christ as we can. Don't you just know that at times... I. I'm stretching this as just an opinion, but at times when Peter would say the things that he did or, or respond the way he did to Jesus, that Jesus would just want to shake his hand and, Peter, come, let's go take a walk. We're going to have a conversation. It had to be frustrating, I would think. I'm thinking through fleshly uh, mind, right? Through a worldly way of looking at things. Of course, he's Jesus. He loved Peter anyway. And really, that's where we're going to go with this. 
We have these issues in the church, sadly, but they happen. Divisions happen because of particular, it can be positions, but generally, I'm going to tell you, it boils down to pride. It boils down to a lack of humility to be able to deal with those issues. So I was called in to this, uh, between these two parties, to try to deal with this. And how do you deal with it? How do you really put forth a path forward that both parties can agree with, subscribe to, and to work out those problems and actually really bring reconciliation between those two parties. Very, very difficult. It's, it's too often we deal with it, like I mentioned, with pride and things like that. That gets in the way. I'm just going to say it's gotten in my way. Pride is a way of really just raising its ugly head up in, in situations like that. Well, I tell you what, if he wants to play that game, I'll, you know, and we just, just get all bent out of shape over that. Is that appropriate? Well, you're going to know the obvious answer on that, really. But we're going to look at some things in the scriptures that should help us with that. That's not the message of the cross when we deal with things like that. Let, let's talk about that. The message of the cross... What is that? What is that to you? I'm going to tell you, Scripture tells us a few things. Beginning in Ephesians 2, verse 14. We're going to look at this to, to open us up to some of what the message of the cross is and how we begin to really unfold this. Paul writing here says, For he himself is our peace, who hath made us both one. Now, he's speaking of the Jews and the Gentiles' relationship, and there's conflict there. There's different cultures, different backgrounds, and we're not really getting along. And he, he addresses this to start us off in our study here. He has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. Okay, we had Jew, we had Gentile, but he's going to bring them together into one. One body, one person, if you will, one mind. And he goes on, uh, himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. <clears throat> the message of the cross, according to this passage, was really about bringing peace between these two parties, being able to bring them together in one body that they might, through the cross, or through viewing it through the cross, might worship God the same. Be equally before God. I mean, we're all... We all ought to be on our knees here anyway, right? We can, as one person, united, be able to worship. And what that accomplished is his death. What it accomplished was the hostility that we, I mean, I'll just throw us in there, that we had toward God. Now, how did we have hostility toward God? 
hatred toward God. Well, I'm going to tell you, every time we violate God's law and sin and choose to follow our own path, that's hatred for God. That's not a pursuing of God. That's choosing our own path. And you see, the cross brought an end to this hatred. It is such that He would bring unity here. It's, he would bring peace. So the message of the cross is forgiveness. It's reconciliation. Peace. It's unity. That's the idea of what Jesus did at the cross for mankind. Not just for us, but for all of mankind. That's what He offers. Now, I don't know about you. Well, I probably do. Who likes conflict? Anybody enjoy conflict here? I mean, there may be a few people in my life I've questioned maybe they enjoy it because they seem to always be embroiled in it, right? We don't like conflict. Who likes that? I don't. I don't. I don't like it in my life. I don't like having to help others deal with their conflict. I mean, we need to do that, but I don't enjoy that. It's stressful. It brings a lot of heartache, um, upset stomach, hurts our sleep at night <laughs> when you have those type of things going on and they're just heart-wrenching. It adds anxiety and stress, uh, may complicate heart conditions, <laughs> you know, things like that. Who enjoys it? None of us do. Here in the last few weeks, up until just the last two or three weeks, but for a month or so, you could drive around in this country and see the changing of the leaves and, and things like that. And it just reminded me of the seasons of life. <laughs> you know, you've got the spring of your life, and we have some of those here, all these young people in the audience. They're in the spring of their life. They're growing. They're taking on new leaves and growth and building their characters to who they're going to be in life. It's a beautiful thing. And then you get into adulthood and I would say that you begin entering into the summer of your life. That's where you're just going to flourish. That's where you're being productive. That's where you're making your life what it is. And then some of us enter into the fall or autumn of our lives. And I would say I'm hanging on to the autumn <laughs> a little bit, but things begin to change. The weather changes. The leaves begin to change color and the hair begins to change color. And the leaves begin to let loose. And sometimes the hair lets loose. <laughs> We're in the autumn of our life, right? And where I'm going with this, there's a winter too, but talk about that another time. In the autumn of our life, I look at myself in that stage, maybe trying to near the end of the autumn of my life. And let's see. Here's, here's what bothers me looking back over my life is that I still have some relationships that are not what they ought to be. And that just hurts. It hurts. There's been some effort. There's been some, some attempts to try to clean some of that up, but some of it's in my family. Some of it's in the church. I just have not been successful, not that it's all up to me, but not been successful as I would like to in all of those relationships. 
And it's hard to look back on that and realize, what else could I have done? What, how could I have handled that different? Sometimes I was the problem, probably. Not all the time. Problems come from other people, too. And they're just not where you want them to be. Let's look at another passage. Paul, again, writing to the same group of people. But in chapter 1, says this, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace. One of the things clearly from the Scriptures that the cross gives us in its message, in what happened on the cross, is the forgiveness of our sins. Now we're going to come back to that idea here in just a moment. But I want you to sink this in. He brings peace. He brought forgiveness. And let's look at another one. Colossians 1 and verse 20. Again, Paul writing to the Colossians here says, Through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. We see a couple of words here that become really important. Reconcile. He has reconciled to himself all things. Now see, that, that was a problem because when sin entered, when we have sinned, and we can go all the way back to the garden, Adam and Eve, when they sinned, their sin separated them from God. Their sin separated them from God. Now don't be too hard on them because our sin does the same thing. And we all have it. There's not a sinless person on earth today. Sin separates, okay? What God has pursued in us is a reconciliation to bring us back into communion, to bring us back into a fellowship with Him that's a oneness-related type of uh, experience, if you will. A oneness, to be reconciled with Him. What does the word reconcile mean? Just think about that for a moment. It means to bring back together. Bring two parties, if you will, back together in peace, in reconciliation, in agreement. Okay? And that's what God has done for us through the sacrifice on the cross. To where we no longer have to have this hatred, hostility toward God or toward mankind. We can have a oneness, a relationship with the Father who truly does love us and care for us. That's why Christ died to begin with. And also, it says at the end of this verse, making peace by the blood of His cross. Making peace, bringing about peace, reconciliation and peace. Do you have that in your life? <laughs> Do you have that in your life? Do you have that between you and God? And then I'm going to add... Do you have that between you and mankind? You and others? Or are there conflicts and troubles? These troubles are not the message of the cross. That's not what the cross is about, obviously. Look, I want you to know that Christ is all about reconciliation. He is all about it. That's what He's about. That's what his purpose was. We've just read passages that have spoken of this. His reconciliation. That's what Christ is about. He's about forgiveness. 
That's what He gave us at the cross, right? Forgave our sins. Where He doesn't look again at them. He has forgiven us. Wiped the slate clean for our benefit. Christ is about unity. A oneness between His people. And not just between He and and us, or God and us, but between each other. That we should live like that. Him being, He being our greatest example of that. And we are to follow in His steps, Peter said. He's our example that goes before us, right? We should have peace among ourselves. But I want to look at some specific things that Christ taught about this. We, we talked about in general the message of the cross, and I've kind of already given it, but let's look at some details. Let's look at what Christ said when it came to some conflict. Matthew 5 and verse 23. Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. Now what is Jesus talking about here? He is referring back to part of the old law, if you will, when sacrifices were made, when offerings were presented, and there were many different kinds, and we're not going to get into the details of it. I'm going to speak of the principle here. But what he is saying for us today to look at this, what this would represent is our coming before the Lord, our giving our all, our sacrifice for Him, our worship of Him. And so what he's saying is, if you're going to come and make your offering for your sacrifice, you're going to come worship me and expect to gain this forgiveness and you realize that there's a problem that a brother has with you. He specifically says that. I think it means both, and we'll show, the, show you why here in a second. It could mean either way. I've got a problem with them. They've got a problem with me. But what does he say to do? You're bringing an offering, right? In worship, we bring our offerings here today. Our heart, our soul, who we are that we offer before God. And we remember that our brother has ought against us, has a problem with us. There's an issue that we've not resolved. We have not reconciled. What are we to do? He said, in this case, leave the offering there before the altar. You leave it. You leave it. Don't take it back with you. Just leave it there and get up and go to your brother. Before you finish this offering... You're going to go to your brother and you're going to make peace. You're going to do everything you can. Because when you have this going on in your life and this kind of conflict, this struggle that is happening in your life, and then you're going to go before God as if you are pure in heart and you have... No, you have issues. You need to deal with. You need to deal with them. What are you doing about it? He said, lay your gift down, get up, and go Be reconciled to your brother. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a pretty hard saying. Especially considering the fact that all of the relationships that I have, that I I have some issues with or some difficulties with, I still have today. 
And here I am worshiping God. Now, in, in fairness, I have up to this point done everything I know to do. And that's, that's what we do. But it's troubling to know that I've got this issue and yet I want my worship to be completely holy and acceptable before God. It causes pause. It causes you to, to, to just step back and, and consider. We should. We should consider this. Now, He uses the same word to reconcile, to bring two into one. We're going to discuss this as we go into it, but let's look at Matthew 18, where actually uh, Jesus is talking here, but he gives the other side of the coin. This is if, if your brother has sinned against you, and so you've got difficulty with him, right? He sinned against you. Let's read. If your brother sins against you, this is what Jesus said to do. If your brother sins against you, go and confront him privately. Now, we probably don't like that word confront because that sounds more aggressive maybe, but all it means is to meet with him privately. Privately. We're not broadcasting it to everybody else. We're not starting a rumor mill. We're not broadcasting it on Facebook because... They have offended me, and I think I deserve better than that, and we see these postings sometimes. But let me tell you, that's not a Christian's role to do that, to lamb blast somebody publicly like that. It's not right. It's not right. In fact, Jesus was very clear. He said, if your brother sins against you, you go to him privately. That's nobody else. That is between me and you. That's it. That's it. And you solve it. You work on solving it. You work on reconciliation. And now here's the purpose. Look at what he says next. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. I think sometimes we get into these situations where somebody has sinned against me or offended me somehow. Could have been a misunderstanding. Could have been anything. It could have been downright evil towards you. It could have been. That doesn't stop you from pursuing reconciliation with them. It's a tall order, but we can do it, by the way. We can do it. We have the same power that Jesus had to do it. <laughs> we have Jesus living in us. And if we listen to Him, we can, we can work on making peace. But let's go on a little more. The objective was to win them over. It's not to punish them. And this is where we get it messed up sometimes. They deserve punishment. Scare you? <laughs> they deserve punishment, right? They deserve to have to answer to that to the full degree of whatever you think it ought to be. That's how we are with people. That's the flesh. But I'm going to tell you, I'm that way with people. I'm that way with the driver that cuts me off, right? I mean, it's our nature that just wants to come out and, and want to fight. The objective in what Jesus is presenting here is that we bring reconciliation, that we win our brother over. We come back into a relationship with them. Now, let me tell you something. If somebody really has done you wrong in a way that was just spiteful, you know, 
<clears throat> it's tough. It's tough. But let me tell you something. Our objective is to be like Jesus, is to be able to do what he said. And what he said was to pursue them and you keep it private. You don't broadcast it around. You visit with them. You talk to them. You explain to them. What, however you work through that. But here's what you did that offended me. I just want you to know that hurt me to the core. And you might have to say something like that. Hopefully, if you go before them in humility, they will respond in humility. More on that in a moment. He actually gives a system here, too. Let, let's read further. If he listens to you, you've won your brother over. But what if he doesn't? What if he doesn't listen to you? He said, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Now, we could argue some details in here. I don't even know for sure. I, I just can't figure it out. Is he Under the old law, it was two or three witnesses, people who had witnessed the wrong. And that's when that was tried. If that's what he's referring to, that may bring up more questions. Do we have a witness, you know, and things like that. It also seems to imply, though, that you bring a person or two that's trusted to just witness what's going on. That they're not a witness to the incident originally. They're a witness to this meeting. That every word can be established. That everything can, can be agreed upon between parties because there's some other ears here to try to help with that. Makes sense. And it might be that. I don't know the, which it is or if it's both. But I do know, he said, if he won't listen to you privately, then you take two or three more. We're still not broadcasting it, are we? This is still not a public affair. And the intent is not to humiliate this person. It never was. The intent is not to embarrass them, to belittle them, or whatever. It is to win them over. <laughs> that is the objective. It is to love them with every bit of love that Jesus himself would have for this person. That's how we are to deal with these divisions. It's tough. I'm not saying it's easy, but that's what he's saying. So take two or three others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of the two or three witnesses. Okay. Now I'm going to tell you, usually, if you have good hearts involved, the first step or the second step, usually those issues will resolve. Most of the time. But not always. Sometimes the hills get dug in. Right? That's that pride again. But they'll get dug in one side or the other. What if he doesn't listen when there's two or three witnesses? Here's where it gets... Here is where you're still not broadcasting to the world. That's not what it's saying. But it is saying if he, re if he refuses to listen to these witnesses as well, then tell it to the church. Tell it to the elders. Tell it to the leadership of the congregation. And it might be that congregation has to be informed. Because maybe it's so bad that he is living a, an immoral lifestyle. Maybe there's something going on that's really big that we cannot have his influence affecting other people. And so it gets bigger. Perhaps the elders of the church 
sit down with them. We're at this level. It's gone a little bigger, hasn't it? Because he's refusing to listen. But what if he doesn't listen to the church? Well, then it says, regard him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now, how would you regard a pagan or a tax collector? It's a fair question. Is he saying you should hate him like a pagan or a tax collector? Is that what he said? No, he said regard them as though it's just another person on the street. But we still love them, do we not? Jesus said to love our enemies. Are our hearts hurting at this point? Are our hearts saddened because we could not win them over? That's where we need to be at that point. Not angry at them. Not despiteful. Not trying to totally annihilate them publicly, humiliate them or anything like that. If he refuses to listen to the church, regard him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. You still love them, but they're not going to be an intimate part of your life, right? I think that's fair. So this is what Jesus said in dealing with relations that are very difficult for us sometimes to deal with. It happens, as I said, in families. It happens in the church. So... I want to look at another, another passage, and I want you to read this entire chapter when you go home, because we're not going to read it here. But I want you to read it. If you've not read it in a while or you don't know about this passage, boy, you just need to read it. John 17. This is an excerpt of a prayer that Jesus gave before his, before his uh, trial and and crucifixion. And it's a beautiful prayer. But he prays for his disciples. He prays for us today. I want you to listen to the words. But here is Jesus. We, we know he's about forgiveness. We know he's about reconciliation. He's about peace. I want you to look at this. Jesus prays. I am not asking on behalf of, of them alone but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their message. So he's praying for other people who would believe on him because of his disciples' messages or sermons or, or teachings, okay? He says that all of them may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfectly united, so that the world may know that you sent me and have loved them just as you have loved me. You see, when I say Jesus is all about unity, I go to John 17, because that's where Jesus prayed for it, desired it. But He desired it most of all, not just so that we can have peace and all that, and that, that's fine and that's good. But His purpose behind this, for us to have peace, for us to be reconciled, is so that 
the world will know that God the Father has sent Jesus to this earth. It's to reach out to other people. And if we're not at peace among ourselves, we're going to have difficulty reaching other people or bringing others into the flock. Are we not? That makes sense. So, Jesus is about forgiveness, reconciliation, and He's outlined how to make that happen between us, and unity. Now, here's the real question to me. How do we really do it? Jesus offered himself on the cross of Calvary. And I want you to get the picture and just get the scene for a moment. He has been run through a sham trial, a mock trial. I mean, it's just ridiculous. It's not even, it wasn't even orderly. It wasn't according to the customs that they should have used. And they have drug him through the streets. And they have whipped on him, lashed on him with scourgings. They've spit on him. I don't know if you've ever been spit on. That's pretty insulting. Jesus was spat upon. He was mocked. He was ridiculed. He was beaten. His flesh was torn. This is just a snippet of what he went through for us leading up to the cross of Calvary. He had a crown of thorns. He was mocked. They put a, a robe on him and put this crown on his head. But it was a crown of thorns. You think they laid it lightly up on his head? Yeah, I don't think so. More blood coming. This is what Jesus went through, okay? Horrible. It really was a, a horrible scene that we today have a tough time really seeing and imagining. Uh, me too. I mean, I don't even have the words. But it's a, as bad, I suppose, as it could possibly be. And this is what he went through. And then he has nails driven through his hands, through his feet, on the cross of Calvary. And he's hung up there, displaying to the world. You remember what he said about not broadcasting it, doing it privately? No, they're broadcasting it to the world. Making a mockery of him. Trying to humiliate him. And Jesus looks down upon this crowd of people who were yelling, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, over and over again. That's all that they wanted to do was crucify Christ. Kill him. Don't let him live. Sorry, I know I'm loud. i got a voice that carries sometimes. Crucify him. And Jesus looks out from the cross probably just minutes before he died. And he looks upon them and he says, Father, forgive them. For they, don't, they, they know not what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. They don't understand it. Father, just forgive them. Don't hold them accountable for this. Whew. I don't know about you, but not this boy. 
God, bring down the lightning and the fire and wipe them out. They deserve it because this is unjust. Not Jesus. Father, forgive them. Forgive them. They don't understand. They really don't understand what's happening here. They're playing a role in a, in a play, if you will, that they don't even... <laughs> they're not the lead, right? So they're just kind of the fill-in people that's just there on this scene that is horrible in their lives, but they don't even realize it. Father, forgive them. Now, I, I just want you to know, I, I think that if Christ on the cross of Calvary, after everything that He's been through, can cry out to, Father, to His Father to forgive the very people who are nailing Him and crucifying Him on the cross, He could say, Father, forgive them. I think we ought to relook at it when we are troubled by somebody who cut us off in traffic. <laughs> Just because Walmart doesn't have cashiers. Whatever the issue that might bother us. I mean, we let these little things bother us. Jesus is on the cross. I know He's Jesus. Somebody says, well, I'm not Jesus. Boy, have I proven that a lot in my life. I'm not Jesus. But I'm called to be like Jesus. That's still the objective. That's who He is. And that's who He is in our lives. If He can be in that situation... I believe I can relook at how to forgive my brother, how to forgive people that might come into some conflict with me or some problem. I think I could relook at that and take a sobering look at what Christ did for me at the cross. So, real quickly, how can it be accomplished? How then can I really? Be in a position to forgive someone. I'm going to tell you in some of the counseling stuff that I've done over the years and, and trying to bring reconciliation and peace, maybe between a husband and wife, maybe between some of these type of things, and how you can do it. How can you make that happen? How can forgiveness happen? How can reconciliation really happen? And, and this is what I've come to learn. Uh, it's not something I'd, I probably should have known, but I've learned it kind of the hard way working through it and going through it time and time again. One party, second party, they've both got to be clothed in humility for it to happen. One can be as humble as they can be, and the other be as prideful as they can be, and you don't have peace. It's not going to happen. Both parties have to be humble. We have to be able to come together, David, and really be in a position where we can humbly, because of our respect and care for each other, we really do love each other's brothers. We're going to work with each other, and we're going to humble ourselves. We are not going to put ourselves in a position of, you owe me this, you owe me that, this is why, blah, blah, blah. That's pride talking. I'm just being practical. But that's just pride talking. If we think somebody owes, they may owe us. But if we're not going to relieve them of that debt, we're going to hold it over their head, that's our pride. 
Again, I'm just being blunt. I know. And if the other side does that same thing and rises up, well, I don't owe you nothing, <laughs> you know, and they're just going to take the other role of that, we have nothing to accomplish. Oh, we can make it look good, but it's really not good, right? We have a lot of situations like that. We can whitewash it a little bit and try to make it look good, but it's really deep down. We still have issues, right? We may not be talking about it anymore, but I'm holding a grudge. I'm being bitter because that's what we do in the flesh. That's what we do. And let me tell you something. Letting, dealing with bitterness and grudgings and things like that is very difficult to do in your life and it's always going to trouble you as a Christian if you're dealing with it because it's, it's in conflict with who you are to be. And you're not truly forgiving one another. I'm not telling you that you have to let your guard down, that you have to be naive and that you have to... I'm not, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying if Jesus can do it from the cross, <laughs> we can do it with each other. We can forgive each other. We cannot hold them accountable. It just came to mind, so I'm, I've got to be directed on where the passage is. But love covers a multitude of sins, we're told. Love covers a multitude of sins. How does it cover sins? Well, our love for that person is so much greater that we look at them as... I know he didn't mean it, and if he did mean it, he'll think about it. He didn't understand what he was doing. I'm going to let him go on that. My love's going to cover that. I'm not going to hold him accountable. And you see, you are relieving, releasing them of that burden, whether they know it or not, but it's also freeing you from the bitterness and from the grudgings and things like that that will build up in your life over time. Love will cover a multitude of sins. Passage to think about. I'm going to close with one other, <clears throat> one other uh, concept, I guess, with a story. <clears throat> I want you to imagine just for a second. I don't know if I've used this here or not. If I have, forgive me, but we're going to walk through it again. Consider for just a moment that you're a Jew. And you are on a journey to go to Jerusalem to worship, to make your offerings, right? Your, your sin offerings. Maybe to celebrate Passover and things of that nature. But you're on the journey. And on this journey, you've got your family gathered and you brought your sheep along, your lamb along that you're going to offer for your family. And on that journey, you come across a guy and he's a beggar. He's a beggar, clearly. And our nature wants to say, get a job, right? That's our flesh again. We don't know their situation. We don't know anything about him. But he's a beggar. And we kind of go a little, bring our family around the other way a little bit, and we don't want to get too close to him. And we just think, what a loser. What a loser. A beggar. Why don't he do something productive with his life? We've got all kinds of answers for him, right? That's what we have. And we go on our way a little bit, and then we run into another young lady that is presenting herself in such a way you know she's a prostitute. 
And she's trying to entice others to join her. And we think, what a disgrace, children. Stay away from that kind of person, right? What a disgrace to spend your life in such a way and not make something of yourself. And we go on. We're going, man, there's just a bunch of bad people in this world. And we get to another one and, oh, we're a Jew. We run into a Gentile. 